All right. That's a wrap with Kirk. How'd it go? Man, that was fun. I uh, yeah. I felt like we were gathered around like the angel investing campfire to hear yeah. like all the stories of your uncle Kirk, grandpa yeah. Kirk. <laughs> it was good. I uh, I mean, not that he's yeah. that old. I think he might be the same age as us, but <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Uh, no, it was just it was really. Well, we have to, we we do the after party episodes. We assume that the guests don't listen, so we have to really let it rip. Oof, yeah. I mean, you know, he's done so many deals like we were talking about and uh, yeah. I sent him a bunch and he hasn't done any of mine. So I'm slightly mm. offended. So apparently so, they, don't, they don't reach his level. They don't. The I, world will not change. Uh, yeah, you must be sending him pretty shitty deals because he's done a lot. And if you've <laughs> sent him a lot, like I would add, Fair. if I do the math calculating, the deals you send him must not be good. Especially I, I do. I am a little bit envious of the invest in, you know, three minutes or less. Like I like that style of angel investing. Um, and you know, you like get a thesis, you really believe in it and then you just say, fuck it, let's do it. But I feel like you need a lot of money to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, especially that check and a lot out. of confidence. You know what I, what I thought was interesting for him is he kind of identified like maybe where his investing blind spot is or kind of his Achilles heel with getting mm -hmm. emotionally invested. Which yeah. I thought was like a really, except first when he said, I don't want to meet the founder, all this, I was like, well, wow, that's just really contrarian to yeah. most early stage investing where, you know, it's like you're investing in the people. And then I kind of started to see his point where, you know, if he gets to know the founder and he starts to feel a certain way, he may invest more than he actually should, right? Yeah. Uh, to kind of fit within his like portfolio strategy. Um, and I found that really interesting to like, have that kind of conviction and know that well, that takes time. Yeah. I think there were definitely a lot of follow-up questions that I wanted to ask him, but we didn't have time. I think one of them would have been, you know, talking about the bet sizing, right? Cause he sort of said that at first, you know, he does like the 10 to 100,000 or a little bit more if he's really bullish, but then later he kind of conflicted himself, right? Because he said that he didn't like, you know, or he doesn't like to get to know the foundry, just like if it's a good idea, he does it. So I always think it's interesting. Like, I feel like other people we've interviewed have maybe said like, don't invest more if you really like the idea, you know, just sort of like get that check size that you're comfortable with, do that for every deal. And then he even said, so I feel like maybe if he is listening, that might be even good advice for him. It's like, you know, when you get really happy about a company, like don't invest more because of that. Like, I think he said one of his worst deals where he lost money was uh, when he did that. I did like what he said about um, investing small amounts in areas that he wants to learn. I thought that was cool. Yeah, and that's what Andrew said on the last episode. Yeah, it reminded yeah. me of what Andrew said too. Yeah, I you know more and more, and I kind of had a similar thought this week. Was like I kind of viewing my uh, my investing as like a ticket to the show to learn. Yeah, right. It's uh, you know a lot of people think about it as the upside, right? As you should, mm -hmm. but it's also just like information rights, right? Yeah. That's what investing is in some you know, like basic way. Uh, so for you. I mean, are you going to change anything about the way you invest based on what you learned today? I mean, it's a little tricky because I feel like a lot of the knowledge that we're gaining is super interesting and helpful, but I, we're kind of already a few years into our angel investing journey, right? So obviously I can't change anything about what I did or, you know, 
like, I feel like a lot of the most impactful advice can kind of help at the start. And then now we're kind of in the midst and figuring it out. Right. So I don't know that there's much I can actually change based off what I heard today. I do. Well, that's not true. I mean, like after talking to Andrew and then even I think Kirk today, you know, it kind of confirmed that I do like the idea of making bets into areas that I want to learn about. Like I want to learn about space. I think Andrew and you and I have been emailing, you know, emailed about a space deal. And then I kind of like Kirk's idea about, you know, maybe a small amount, like maybe I'll put a couple thousand dollars into a space deal. doesn't need to be a huge check. Uh, So I guess maybe I did learn something today. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like... you kind of start in your core competency, right? Because that's probably your network draws you in. They say, hey, I know you, you're knowledgeable Mm -hmm. about this. We'd like to have you on the cap table, so on and so forth, right? Yeah. And so you're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to invest in my sphere of influence and an expertise. Mm -hmm. And then as you become an investor, right? Like you're starting to think, well, this game is more about, you know, the investment returns. So how do I play that game, right? And and that's like... I kind of see that like happen with a lot of people. I, probably when Andrew was saying like he started in is in health tech and legal, and now he's expanding out his periphery, right? And it's like kind of yeah. same thing. So you're you have new areas, um, and I'm finding myself doing that too. It's like very hard to stay in your lane, right? And, but I think if you go outside your lane, right, your bet sizing and how you go about it, like how like rigid you are about it, is like probably what keeps you from going off the rails. Um, and right, really have a system for investing there. So if you're going to kind of go outside your lane, I think I like the idea of dropping down your bet to really, you know, kind of probably as small as you can get it because like kind of what you're going after in that situation, like, I don't know how much value I can provide to a space tech founder, right? But it's like, uh, oh, I want to learn about this. So if they'll let me in or I can get into this deal, like that's kind of more why I'm doing it. So I think that is definitely something that... I'm, you know, kind of already implementing, I mean, already looked at one space deal already, you know, and didn't know what the hell I was looking at. So I'm like, all right, let me find someone smarter that might, I was like, Andrew, are you going to invest in this? <laughs> you know, if, if you do it, maybe I'll consider it. Right. Well, follow the leader. So I, there wasn't like a space ride sharing deal. Like that's not what you're into. No. And you know, it is funny, right? Cause I, I'm a retired aerospace engineer and I did do one okay. summer internship at, uh, the jet propulsion laboratory. And I worked on the multi-angle infrared spectro radiometer, which sounds a lot fancier than what it is. Wow. Basically. I just sat there like drawing little digital lines around fire plumes and it could have been done by like a monkey, but, uh, they paid me pretty well <laughs> to do it for a summer. <laughs> And everyone say it sounded a lot fancier than the job was, but, uh, yeah, that was my, that's my, uh, you know, like I probably know like enough to be dangerous in aerospace and, you know, space and stuff like that, but I'm definitely, you know, it's been a while and I'm no expert. So I want to tell you a quick story that's kind of related to the, to Kirk's like investing in the idea Mm -hmm. and not the, the people. And I don't know how this will pan out. So I'm not making a statement on whether that works or not. But so I have a, a good friend and a founder that I like believe in would go to the ends of the earth for it. Yeah. And so he started a business in crypto um, called Crypto Hunt. And basically, you know, that that whole market is just gone. It's been a whipsaw, right? Yeah. And engagement, everything in that market. Gone to shit. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, despite maybe having product market fit there and something going on, it just wasn't like the right market to go into. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they're a learning platform 
And so when ChatGPT came out, they were like, well, how do we make these lessons that we're making faster and just try ChatGPT to do it? And they did yeah. that. And it seems like it's taken off, right? Cool. And so they pivoted the company. And I, you know, I brought other people in and to invest. And so I was feeling, you know, in, in some ways, like, you know, somewhat responsible that, that I want mm -hmm. to get them a return on investment, make good bets and things like that. And now this new trajectory seems very exciting, right? And it was kind of reminded me that like the original idea was what everyone invested in, right? yeah, some capacity, but it's really the people that are now pivoting it that are putting it into like a potentially yeah. even greater trajectory. And so, I don't know, I was just trying to square that with like I what think you that saying. was the most contrarian thing, I guess you would say, that I think Kirk said. I feel like the general yeah. wisdom is, you know, invest in the founder, invest in the people. The idea kind of matters less. And I would say he's pretty much the opposite. If they were on a spectrum, I think that's over here. And he is on the opposite end of the spectrum. And I think that's kind of what's cool about angel investing is that there's no right or wrong way to do it. Like everyone kind of has their own style. And if you have the confidence and the money to, you know, to do what you want, I mean, I would say it's working pretty well for him. He has a 50% uh, IRR uh, according to his calculations, right? Yeah. I mean, by the numbers, he's doing well. Uh, you know, and I guess well, the question I mean, is, like I tweeted to you the other day, you know, money isn't the goal, but it's a great scorecard, right? So fair. I don't think anyone is, or, you know, not many people are, especially with angel investing, right? Like they're not always getting in it to make money. You want to make money, but you probably more want to learn or work with early stage. But, you know, ultimately, like I think kind of a, to know if you're a good angel investor or not, it's like, did you make good money, right? Like you could have learned a lot along the way and gotten a lot out of it, but I don't know if that necessarily means that you are a good angel investor, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're just going strictly by like what's a good angel investor, it's going to be returns at some point, right? Like some cold At some art. point you got to make money. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish we had asked um, <clears throat> more around like how much cash had been returned because I think there is like IRR mm. on like, that's unrealized returns, like essentially like, what are the valuations of the company you're looking at? Yeah. And so the question is, is like, like how much capital has been returned? Yeah. Right. Like as a, as an early performance metric, and I know this is what venture firms look at too, right. As they go to raise their next funds or, you know, it's like, have any capital been returned? Um, yeah. Anyway, the question I want to ask going forward uh, around that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the only tricky part about asking that on a podcast is that it's like quite detailed. I mean, really, you need a yeah. spreadsheet, right? It's like, you know, you see people talking about IRR. Do they really know what IRR? I mean, I think technically IRR, the definition, right, is like you put money in on a certain day and when do you get that cash back, right? So if you put in $100 on January 1st and you get it back on December 31st, that's a one-year period. And if you made $10, your IRR was 10%, right? So it's like, the actual definition, right? And, you know, people say, oh, I got a, a thousand percent markup versus like a thousand percent versus a thousand X is a big difference, right? Like, you know, you know what I mean? So I don't know that people yeah. always know the difference with what they're, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of nuance, right? Like a thousand percent is only a 10 X return, right? Uh, sorry, a thousand X is... No, a thousand percent. Oh. Right? Yeah. 
If you have a hundred percent return on a hundred dollars, that means that you made a hundred dollars, right? But if you have a thousand X, that's a thousand times 100, right? It's a big difference. So like, I think people sometimes get confused between, and the only reason I know this is because Uber used to use a two X or a three X surge multiple and Lyft would use a 100% prime time. So that was equal to a two X. And I, you know, did like this whole big article on it. Otherwise I would totally never have thought about it, but yeah, it yeah. is pretty big difference. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing I noticed uh, about Kirk, he had some great quotes. Mm-hmm. I wrote a few down. I don't know if you had a favorite, but I can share one or two of my favorites if you don't have any. No, I want to hear yours first. Uh, well, I only wrote down a few, but I would say, I mean, the first one he said, angel investing is like rich people buying lottery tickets. Did he say Michael Siebel from YC told him that or... Yeah. Uh, was that, was that a different part? But yeah, I, I like that because I think it's kind of true. I think Kirk's a big gambler because he talked about crabs. He po- talked about lottery tickets. Uh, I think he's a big gambler, uh, mental note. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like we're seeing that thread, you know, with multiple of the angels that we've talked to that do this, yeah. at scale, right? Like this yeah. is, well, and also, you know, everyone loves to play poker, right, in tech and VC. So, yeah, there's something. I mean, it's kind of, I guess, like gambling and, you know, investing is, you know, a lot of synergies, a lot of parallels, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I, so what do you think? Is angel investing like rich people buying lottery tickets? I mean, you have to be accredited to get into the best deals. You kind of have to have that access or, you know, I mean, like, I think we're kind of pretty clearly seeing like to do you know, a pretty legit angel, like to be a pretty legit angel investor, if you're putting meaningful size checks, I mean, you got to have a lot of money, right? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, like the distinction to me is like, are you trying to make it a skill-based thing or a luck-based thing? Mm -hmm. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, by like the odds, maybe it's similar, but, and and maybe by the way Kirk's doing it too, by saying, hey, I'm just trying to spray and pray a bit. Like you're making it a luck-based thing. Whereas if you're doing diligence and trying to pick winners, you are inherently assuming that you have a skill that will make it not gambling, right? I think the key word you used is assuming, right? Because (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing. Like you see, right? If you look at public markets, right? Like a few of the first websites I started were in the personal finance space. So I got really into, you know, basically looking at the performance of public market funds and all the stats are crazy, you know, like 90% of, you know, mutual funds don't even outperform the index, right? So if you go buy a Vanguard S&P 500 fund, you're like way better off. But so many people have their money, especially like high net worth people, you know, because they're used to overachieving, right? So they get sold on these products that have like 1%, 2% fees and the average is only returning 8 to 10%. So it's like you're actually cutting your return by 25%, right? And so in public markets, I'm like very skeptical of any fund or product that says they can outreturn the market, right? But in private investing and in angel, you're kind of betting on the opposite, right? That there's some asymmetry of information or you can provide some value or, you know, that you're going to make a lot of money, but the, it's tough when there's no baseline, right? Yeah. I mean, well, and the big difference, right, is like public companies, they're much older, right? Yeah. Like just by virtue of it, right? Like you can't get in at the lowest cost basis. That's right. what like, yeah, that's a good the point. Thing I always feel like I learned about investing is low cost basis leads to great returns, right? Yeah. And I think so, that's the key. Yeah. Well, or like, so there's one like low valuation, low cost basis, getting in early, getting in ahead of a trend, right? Like those are like really like 
those are where the outsized returns seem to come from, but yeah. also just being okay that you should invest in a trend that's already popular and mm-hmm. ride the wave. Like that's the thing that like I is really hard to do is trying to understand like, is it already peaking or is it going to continue to go? Yeah. And that's um, those are like the two things that I like, if I can get right, that's mm-hmm. where I make money. Um, and that's why the public markets are just so hard because in some sense, one, there's a lot way more information out there. And so the markets yeah. are more perfect in some sense. Um, and I have no edge, but I also just can't like get in a low cost basis, right? Like you're kind of a taker of whatever's out there. Yeah. Um, so that's so I don't know what to do. I, I've been writing down, or for this episode, at least, I was writing down some good quotes from Kirk. I don't know what to do with them. If we should put them, might be too long for a hat or a shirt. I don't know what we're going to do with these quotes. Tweet them out, I guess. But you know, he also said, why three minutes is all you need for due diligence for an angel investment. I might be paraphrasing a little. And then I think I'm definitely paraphrasing this one. But he basically said, why I turned down $47 million in crowdfunding. He said he got $50 million and then ended up raising $100 from 30,000 investors on Republic, right, to get 3 million in crowdfunding. I like that line of thinking, though, where he did say, I mean, it's sort of a, uh, it's like a good problem to have if you can, I think most founders are more like, I kind of, like, I'll take what I can get, right? I need money. But if you do have more money than you need, or you have the luxury of not needing money so badly that you can turn away potential investors. Um, I did like what he was saying and that, you know, like someone who's not a pro doesn't know what they're doing, doesn't have a lot of money. Uh, you know, they're probably going to like be fucking annoying. They're probably going to ask you for a bunch of updates. You know, if like things aren't going well, they're going to get scared. I think Jack said this too. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a common thread for sure. Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) no i was just thinking like the the inevitability piece for me was like i think there's something interesting there for like his investment philosophy Uh, what what did he say he he said yeah invest in things that are inevitable yeah that and that's another good quote we're totally paraphrasing here yeah well no but invest in inevitability is like invest in inevitability that's a good hat right there good alliteration i think we're we're trying to make a uh, little uh, hats for all of our guests with like their best quotes. For Jack, we gave him fresh flesh. I don't know it's, if it, if it's arrived in his uh, mailbox yet, or if he even checks, or if he's going to get it. And he's going to get this hat in the mail that's like says "fresh flesh" on it. He's like, "What the fuck is this from? <laughs> Who sent me this?" <laughs> so we might actually need to follow up with Jack and say, "Hey, did you get that hat we sent you?" But I like invest in inevitability. And it reminds me of one of my friends um, who I would like to invite on the podcast someday, Tom uh, McInerney. He's a big angel investor uh, here in Los Angeles. And I I remember he once told me uh, in regards to angel investing that he never likes to invest against trends, right? So like in the EV space, I don't know if it was this company or another, right? Like battery capacity is getting better. Charging is getting faster, right? So like any product that kind of conflicts with that, right? Like inevitable, the inevitableness is that like 
for EVs, the batteries are going to get bigger. Charging is getting faster, right? So if you don't aren't kind of like you don't want to invest against the grain of that in something, you know, where like a good example actually is like battery swapping technology, right? Like, hey, you can swap a battery right now really quickly, but in the future, you know, will it be easier just to plug it in, right? So kind of thinking about that. Um, I remember he told me something like, and that's like one of the frameworks that I've uh, liked to use. I think it's similar to invest in, you know, what's inevitable. Yeah. I mean, I kind of view this like what Kirk was saying with AI was like, it's just going this direction. Right. And so I guess the question is, you know, from an investment perspective, it was like, which investments do you make? Like, is it a picks and shovels? Is it a net new technology? What is it? What do you, you know, how do you think about that and have a framework, which I think probably is important. Um, but so I think it's trend which zero, investments, right? right? Which is sort of a strategic. And then also what I wanted to ask him, but didn't quite have the time was about timing, right? Because a lot of, I thought like almost everything's inevitable, right? Not almost everything, but it's like, I feel like investing is all about like finding the right investment, the right team at the right time, right? Like he mentioned DoorDash and Uber. And, you know, I think the famous uh, example there is Webvan, right? I guess they were this grocery delivery service company in the 2000s. Great idea. Obviously it was inevitable, but the timing was 20 years off right now you have Instacart. So I think that's the other thing uh, that I would have liked to uh, ask him about is the timing. Yeah, I think I think his point was having that bankroll to be able to keep going. Like that was the, I think the way he way he was thinking about it. But yeah, I wish I we had gotten that answer. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the last thing maybe we can talk about and then wrap is you know, so AI is a good example. It's super hot right now. Everyone is loving it. He's doing you know his project is really cool. Everyone should go check it out. And uh, I wonder if anyone's listening to this episode without having listened to the interview with uh, Kirk, but. <laughs> I know one guy like mentioned, clip notes. Yeah, that one guy mentioned he likes to listen to these type ones to know if he should listen to the full ones. So at least oh, one thought, person out there. I think we we got one email or one really good feedback that someone this was their favorite episode, the recap we did with Jack. So that's why I okay. texted you after. I was like, dude, let's do a recap because we got that <laughs> one email. So that's all I need to keep going. But yeah, I feel like that uh the AI, I don't know. Like if Crypto was like supposedly inevitable too, right? So it was like a new big fad and yeah, we'll see. So, all right, I know you got to run. So uh, good stuff. We'll uh, reconvene next week. All right. Till next week, Harry. Take care. Bye.